0: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Returning to Eden is a book by Heather Hamilton for people who resonate with aspects of Christianity but struggle with the coherence of its claims. After having a mystical experience that shattered her evangelical beliefs, Heather Hamilton found herself on the journey that every true spiritual seeker ultimately takes. The highest truths that set us free are hidden in places that most people are not looking. Returning to Eden re-examines the Bible stories of childhood and opens them up as symbolic maps into the inner world. Stories like Jonah and the Whale, the parting of the Red Sea, Noah's Ark, and the virgin birth are illuminated with penetrating depth and intellectual integrity. Faith is no longer a white-knuckled grip on implausible beliefs, but a relaxation into a deep inner knowing. You can purchase Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton at Amazon.com or at ReturningToEden.com.
1: Hey, this is Derek Webb, and you're listening to Second Cup with Keith, my favorite caffeinated theology podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Childs. And in this episode, we are continuing our series on biblical marriage. And um, this episode is really important because it's. Uh, I feel like I need to address one of the probably most common um, arguments that I hear from many evangelical Christians um, regarding this passage in Matthew 19, where they will quite often will quote Jesus from Matthew 19, um, and in their minds, this passage is Jesus defining. Marriage for us, um, but I want to clear a couple of things up. Number one, and I just encourage anybody, please just go turn to Matthew 19 and read it for yourself. Um, what you'll notice is that, um, you know, the they come to him, they come to Jesus, and they um, they ask him a question about divorce. Now, at that time, who who got married? in the first century, well, and all the way, all the way back, right? Um, when they're talking about marriage between a man and a woman, what are they talking about? Um, well, they're talking about men and women. I mean, that that's all there was. There wasn't any other kind of marriage. And so the question by default is a question about relationships between men and women. Um, so Jesus was not asked, you know, Rabbi, Messiah, Lord, please could you define marriage for us? That's not what they asked him. They asked him about divorce. And in response to the question about divorce, and specifically it's a question about whether or not a man can divorce a woman for any reason, we've already covered to this point how marriage, which by the way, the word doesn't even appear in the Old Testament, but nevertheless, um, in in this contractual uh, agreement between two men, the father of the bride and the father, no, the father of the woman, she's not really a bride, the father of the woman and the father of the man. Um, in that contract, um, the man essentially owns the woman as part of his property. So the question is to Jesus, in the contract between two men, the father of the woman and the father of the man, um, can the man does the man have the right to dispose of his property whenever he wants and for any reason? Let's just really be clear. That's the question being asked. And in response to that question, Jesus um, quotes Genesis. Yes. About how, right. um, A man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his woman. Um, And then um, makes a statement, which is actually way more radical than most of us realize, and, and certainly way more radical than evangelical Christians realize. But again, if you, I encourage you to read it, because if you do, you'll notice the gasp, the shock, um, from everyone, especially his own disciples, when what he suggests is that the only reason a man could divorce uh, or put away his woman, his property, is for the sin of adultery, and in fact. When he says that, his own disciples say, if this is the way it's going to be between a man and a woman, why get married at all? And to that response, Jesus does not say, oh, no, no, don't take it that far. No, 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 that's not what I mean. He actually affirms that that's a, that's a true statement. Yes, you're right. I guess if, 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 if for you as a man, you don't have the right to dispose of your, of your woman for any reason you want on a whim, and for you, that means that makes um, this this arrangement between men and women, um, you know, um, something that you're not interested in. <laughs> then, yes, you're right. Maybe you shouldn't do that because you're doing it then for the wrong reasons. Right. So, he, he you know, Jesus doesn't contradict his his disciples when they say, why get married at all if it's going to be like this? And then he drops a bomb, another bomb. He already dropped the big bomb. So why was the first statement of bomb about adultery? I I need to cover that first before I get into the real meat of what I want to say. The reason, um, everyone had such a shocked reaction to Jesus declaration that the only reason a man could put away his woman, uh, was for the sin of adultery was that the arrangement at the time was that a man could put away his wife for any reason. The woman had no such rights because again, she's his property, right? Um, and so it it was an expo- that practice was an exploitation of women by men. It, it allowed men to oppress women by holding this threat over their heads at any point that they could be thrown out into the streets and would have to beg or prostitute themselves to survive. That was the that was the economic reality of the time and that was what that arrangement was creating. So the practice of men putting away their wives or their women for any reason um, allowed them to have power over to oppress women in this culture. So when Jesus says, no, the only reason you can put away your wife is if she commits the sin of adultery, or if either one of you commits the sin of adultery, um, that was a deal breaker. Why? Because by doing that, it put the power in this situation back into the hands of the woman. It now gave the woman power over the man. Because what what essentially what that means is that the woman now, under that arrangement, if it was only adultery, then in that arrangement, now suddenly the women have the power to break the contract. Where they didn't have it before. You understand? This gives women power to break the contract. Where up to this point, only men had the power to break the contract. For any reason... And now the woman, if she's done with it, if she wants to leave the man, if she wants to end the relationship, she can do so by just going to another man, and, and again sleeping with this person, uh, and then becoming that—you know—in a relationship with that man. Um, and that is such a shocking, you know, shift, paradigm shift for everyone hearing him that even his own disciples are, are exclaim—they're shocked. What? If, it's, if this is the way it's going to be between men and women, why get married at all? Exactly right. If you're not comfortable with it, a, pure, a purely equal relationship, or if you're not comfortable with a relationship where the woman now has the power that you have as a man, and that makes you second-guess the whole thing, yeah, you should second-guess the whole thing. Maybe this is a, a bad situation, Right. Because what, it, what, it allow, what the whole thing allows the men to do, because of this way that Jesus has reframed it, is to realize that, oh, when, when, when this situation is reversed, this isn't, not an equitable situation. This is an oppressive situation. Exactly. Yes, it is. Well, if you were the one, in other words, if you could put yourself in the place of the woman, if the woman had the power over you that you now have over her, Ah, suddenly your eyes are opened and you can see that that isn't fair, that that's actually an oppressive thing, and it makes you not even want to participate in that kind of a relationship. Right? Exactly. So let's understand that is exactly what's happening in that conversation. Jesus is not defining marriage. Um, And and I've said this before, I think even covered this maybe in a previous episode, it really makes me angry that Jesus' statement pulled out of this context of that the only reason for adultery, uh, the only reason for a divorce is adultery, today is being used once again to, to oppress women. Because women in abusive marriages are told by pastors who quote that verse that they cannot leave their husband if he is verbally abusive or even sexually abusive, physically abusive to her or the children. Nope. Nope. They're playing lawyer again. And they're saying, nope, Jesus says only, only for adultery. And so until he commits adultery with another woman, you are stuck in that marriage. And that is now being used once again to put women under subjugation, under oppression by a man in a relationship. And it, it's wrong. That is not at all. So I would say take the spirit of what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus would, would want is that the, that the woman would have agency. That she would not remain oppressed by her spouse. in a a marriage relationship. So that's really what's being taught there. I hope we don't miss that. So now, uh, having said all of that as a preamble, we come to this key part that I want to talk about. And it's a shocking, shocking statement. Even more shocking uh, than what he he just said um, about giving women, you know, power over men um, in the marriage contract. Um, and he says this, this is uh, Matthew 19, verse 11. So after that, he says, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. So he starts off by basically saying, listen, I'm going to say something. And I know that most people are not going to get it. You, you're you probably not ready for this. Because this is something that not everybody is going to be able to to, to comprehend, right? Maybe Maybe later, but not right now. But I'm going to say it anyway. Just so you can think about it, just so you can put it in your mind, let it percolate, plant that little seed, I want you to think about something. So you're already second-guessing whether or not marriage under these arrangements is even worth it. If the man is the one oppressed, oh, then why get married at all? Okay, hold that thought, Jesus says, because I got something else. Not all men can accept this statement, what I'm about to say, but only those to whom it has been given. In other words, only one who has received the grace from from God to accept what I'm about to say. Here it is. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So why is that such a shocking statement? Well, first of all, Jesus, in this conversation about binary heterosexual uh, relationships, after dropping this bomb, suddenly drops this this conversation now about eunuchs in here, and what is this? Well, understand at this point again. In the previous episode, you know I talked about these six different gender types that were revealed in ancient Jewish texts. One of them was a eunuch. In other words, this is someone who does not who doesn't participate in the binary male female roles. Someone who um, doesn't participate in the procreation sexual procreation, okay? Um, This is not a binary person. This is someone other than the binary, male or female, the typical sexual roles. Um, And, you know, again, referring you back to the previous episode, a eunuch was considered sort of a third type, not male, not female, but eunuch. Eunuch is another gender. It's another sexual orientation. It's a completely different you know, um, category, classification of of person that does not fit the, the rigid binary. Why is Jesus bringing this up in this conversation about divorce and marriage? Well, again, he's planting a seed that he knows they're not going to be ready for it. But what he is doing is setting up a kingdom perspective. He's saying, yes, I understand that currently, In your system, it's male and female. It's binary. And it's, and it's very, you know, rigid. But then he introduces this. Hey, here's another idea that you probably can't accept it now. It may be too much for you. If one day, if you have the grace for it, you can accept it. And here it is. Some people are non-binary. Some people do not participate in the male-female gender roles. There is a third type of, of human being who does not fit your binary mold. And he says, these people are blessed, whether they are born that way, made that way, or choose to be that way. So again, number one, he acknowledges some people are born that way. Thank you, Lady Gaga. Yes, some people are born that way. And Jesus acknowledges this. Some people are born not fitting into your rigid binary male, female, sexual, gender roles. They do not want what you want, desire what you desire, feel what you feel if you're binary, if you're cis, cisgenders. No, he's acknowledging that they exist. And he's also admitting that, hey, at this point in time in history, most of you aren't ready for this. The scary thing is that 2000 years later, many Christians are still not ready for this. This is still a wake up call for, for Christians. And I would encourage you, if if anybody takes you to this passage to argue for a binary male-female um, definition of marriage, encourage them to keep reading. Encourage them to notice these two bombs that Jesus drops. The first one, to give power back to the woman in this oppressive relationship, so, so much so that the men are willing to say, why well, get married at all? And then show them the next part where Jesus introduces a third non-binary type of person who is born that way, made that way, or who chooses to be that way. And it doesn't matter which of those three it is. That person is normal and blessed and included in this conversation. They exist. And there is a blessing associated with this person. And, and I want to talk about this blessing because to me, this takes us into a much more fascinating territory. Um, There is a passage in Leviticus 2120. Um, And again, not everything we read in the Bible is what God is saying. It's what people are saying, right? So this is most likely Moses making rules for who can and who cannot be in the presence of God or enter the kingdom of God or be in in the temple or the tabernacle. And so this is all about us and them, good and bad, right and wrong, normal and not normal, very binary thinking right? No, no shock. Um, but there's this prohibition in Leviticus 21:20 20, that says that anyone who has had their testicles crushed, essentially a eunuch, cannot enter the temple. They cannot enter the tabernacle. They can't enter it or serve in it. So they're on the out. Okay. And again, Jesus undoes all of those things. The sick couldn't also enter the tabernacle of the temple. And so here's Jesus, who is the living temple of God. He goes to them, embraces them, loves them, blesses them, heals them, and, and accepts them, right? Um, so the opposite, it's a contradiction of what's being said in Leviticus. Um, and, and for an even bigger contradiction contradiction, we're going to turn to Isaiah 56, starting in verse 3. And it says this, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now, it's a beautiful promise, right? Here's God in Isaiah calling out these people that have been ostracized, ignored, marginalized. They're not allowed to enter the temple. They can't even enter the temple, their tabernacle. They're not allowed to enter the presence of God. They are technically unclean, according to everybody else in the, in the society. And yet in Isaiah, God makes a point of ble- you know, shining a light on them, blessing them, giving them a promise of something, an everlasting night, a name, an everlasting promise, a, a legacy that will not be cut off. Now, I want you to know that that promise in Isaiah was never actually enacted. It was never fulfilled in the Old Covenant. That's an unfulfilled promise, at least under the Old Covenant system and in Jewish, ancient Hebrew practices. They never changed that rule or that law. Eunuchs were never allowed to enter the kingdom or the tabernacle or the, or the, the temple or to serve. They were, they were continued continually left on the outs. But the promise is still there. And so when Jesus says, hey, by the way, guys, while we're talking about this binary marriage thing that you're, you're so hung up on, I want you to know there are eunuchs, by the way. And there are these eunuchs that are born that way, made that way, or choose to be that way. And you know what? This is not a bad thing. There's something I want you to consider. Consider the eunuch. Like you just said, it's better for a person not to marry, okay? Okay. Here's, here's, let's keep along that thought. What about people who choose not to engage in this, you know, heterosexual relationship? What about those people? Let's consider those people, these eunuchs, who are born this way, who are made this way sometimes by other people, or who choose to be this way. What about them? Well, this is something you can't accept at the moment, but one day you might. Right, that they are welcome in the kingdom of God and that we should accept it. He says, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Now, what I find so fascinating is that if you continue reading in the book of Acts, you will notice that the first non-Jewish, the first Gentile person that is baptized into the kingdom of God is an Ethiopian eunuch, a eunuch. And what's fascinating also is that we know he's reading when Philip meets him. He's in his chariot and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. In fact, he's reading Isaiah 53. Now, he has a conversation with Philip. He is eagerly welcomed. In fact, there's this beautiful phrase where he says, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, that's a fascinating question because, well, according to the law, the law prevents the eunuch from being baptized because he cannot serve in the temple. He can't serve in the tabernacle. He can't come into the presence of God. What prevents him from being baptized? Well, it is written. What is written is what prevents you. But Philip gets it, and Philip says nothing and baptizes him. And there's a miracle that happens. Philip is taken up out of his presence, disappears, teleports somewhere. The eunuch then goes on his way, and we would assume he would continue to read the scroll of Isaiah. He would keep reading from fifty-three, Isaiah 53, and he would eventually come to what we just read. He would come to Isaiah 56. And then this eunuch, the first non-Jewish, Gentile person baptized into the kingdom of God, according to the book of Acts, would read these words. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And that is such a beautiful affirmation. Not just to that individual eunuch, but it should be something that all of us get that we get it. Ah, you don't have to be binary. You don't have to participate in the, in the what's they call the, the normal, right, uh, male female sexual relationships to be a part of the kingdom of God. Not at all. And the seeds of that promise are in Isaiah and the reminder of that promise is on the lips of Jesus in Matthew 19. And the fulfillment of that is in the book of Acts, when that Ethiopian eunuch says, What prevents me from being identified as someone who is welcome and loved and affirmed in the house of God and the family of God by being baptized into the name of Christ? And I would ask the exact same question to evangelical Christians today. What prevents the eunuch, the one who was born this way, born not binary, born not participating in the in the uh, traditional male-female sexual gender roles, who does not participate in the male-female marriage uh, relationship, what prevents them from being welcomed into the kingdom of God, baptized into the family of Christ? Philip, in the book of Acts, says nothing. Sadly today, what prevents those beautiful people that Jesus loved and affirmed, what prevents them is the church. Many evangelical Christians are absolutely the ones preventing them from being baptized into the kingdom, being welcomed in the family of God, approaching God in the presence of God, serving in the temple or the tabernacle or the church. We're the ones preventing that. And that is wrong. I'm just going to say it. That is anti-Christ. That is an anti-Christ attitude. Flat out. If you want to know who's anti-Christ, look at those who are denying and ignoring the words of Jesus. And who are they? The people who insist on their only being a male and female binary. When Jesus affirmed a third option of those who do not participate. If you ignore those those words of Jesus, you are Antichrist. Who is Antichrist? They're those who deny the blessing promised by God in Isaiah and fulfilled by the words of Jesus and by the actions of Philip in the book of Acts, by baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you deny those things, you are Antichrist. It is an Antichrist position to exclude people who are not binary, male or female. It is an antichrist behavior to insist that everyone must follow this binary male-female sexual orientation and marriage relationship because Jesus says so, and because Isaiah says so, because the book of Acts says so. And I've said this before, but I feel like the church today Needs what I call an Acts 10:28 moment. Acts 10:28, uh, also in the book of Acts, again, which is supposed to be a picture for us of what the what the the outpouring, outflowing of a kingdom reality looks like or should look like. Um, after Jesus has you know completed His work, ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit of God has fallen at Pentecost on all flesh, male and female, young and old, you know every single every single human being now. Uh, has been anointed with the spirit of God, filled with the spirit of God. Um, We see Peter is praying on the rooftop of a friend's house when the spirit of God shows him a sheet of a vision, a sheet being lowered from heaven, filled with all sorts of unclean animals. And three times the voice says, rise, kill, and eat. Now keep in mind, Peter's response is to refuse. Of course, why? Because it is written. Because the Bible contradicts the spirit right there. It's written he cannot, he cannot rise, kill, and eat these unclean animals. Absolutely not. It goes totally against the clear written word of God in Leviticus, Leviticus 11. The very same book, by the way, um, that many Christians today want to use to keep us from accepting people who are gay or trans or intersex or non-binary eunuchs. Now, Peter had a choice. He could cling to the scriptures. He could say, no, it is written and quote the scripture verbatim and say, no, that's wrong. That goes against the word of God. Or he could do what he eventually did. He could listen to the voice of the spirit. He could have the mind of Christ. He could realize something beautiful and profound. And as Peter's phrased it in his own words, here's what Peter said when the It finally clicked when he finally got it. He didn't get it back over there when Jesus had that whole thing about eunuchs. But the seed was planted. There's a day coming. You can't accept it now. Maybe one day it'll be given to you. And here it is, finally, it's given to Peter. Something is given to him and it finally clicks and he finally gets it. And here's how Peter describes what he finally got, what he finally understood. Peter says this, God has shown me that I should not call any person unholy or unclean. Now, it took Peter three tries to get it right, but he eventually learned that even though it was biblical to never eat unclean food or to associate with unclean Gentiles, the Spirit of Christ revealed to him that in spite of what is written in Leviticus, he could not call any person unholy or unclean. That means we also need to get it. That was all for our benefit. It's written down there for our benefit for we, so that we can get eventually, finally, hopefully, what Peter got 2,000 years ago. We could hear that message. I should never call anyone unholy or unclean because of something that's written in Leviticus. Christians are still doing this today. They are still saying that because of what's written in Leviticus or in 1 Corinthians or whatever, because of what is written, Certain people are not welcome. Certain people are not included. Certain people are abominations. No. Peter got it. By the spirit of Christ, took him three tries, but he finally got it. And he finally understood no one's rejected, no one's excluded, not gay people, not transgender people, not Muslims, atheists, Democrats, pro-choice, Black Lives Matter, Marxists, anyone, anywhere, For any reason. And I think we need that same kind of revelation today. God has shown us that everyone is clean and everyone is holy. And how many more times do we need to hear this? Or have it explained to us before we really, really embrace this fundamental truth of the gospel? How many times? Now it took Peter three times. uh, It's taken us way, way many more times than this to recognize that no one is unclean in the eyes of God. The Lamb of God really has taken away the sins of the world. It really is that God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us, but he's reconciled the world to himself. And so no one, no one is unclean. Our choice then is to, to decide whether we want to live in a biblical world or a Christ-like one. Because the Bible is not a Christian's ultimate authority. Jesus is. That's according to Jesus. The Bible is not the foundation of the Christian faith. Jesus is. The Bible is not the standard of truth. Jesus is. Uh, George MacDonald has a great quote. He says, Sad indeed would the whole matter be if the Bible had told us everything God meant for us to believe. But herein is the Bible greatly wronged. It nowhere lays claim to be regarded as the word, the way, or the truth. The Bible leads us to Jesus, the inexhaustible, the ever unfolding revelation of God. It is Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not the Bible. So as i said many times, we cannot mistake the map for the treasure. The Bible is a map that leads us to Christ, who is the treasure. And in Christ, we can see what Peter did that we should call no man or woman unclean. So when the eunuch, the non-heteronormative person, the gay, lesbian, queer, intersex person comes to you and says, what prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from becoming welcome in the family of God, in the body of Christ? What prevents me from sitting beside you on the pew? What prevents me from serving on staff? At your church? What prevents me from entering the kingdom of God? The answer, our answer, needs to be the same as Philip's answer to the Ethiopian eunuch, nothing. Or Peter's response: God has shown us that we should not call anyone unholy or unclean. And if we refuse to do that, we can what's the what's the alternative? Well, we can we can just cling to Leviticus. And the letter of a dead law that only brings death and condemnation. And then in that case, our response will be biblical, yes. But I can assure you it will not be Christlike. And that is our ultimate choice. So I hope this is helpful for you. And if you think it's helpful, um, do me a favor. Give me a rating. Give me a, a review. Um, especially if you think someone you know would benefit from this uh podcast episode, this conversation that we're having, please forward it to them, send it to them, recommend that they listen to it. Um, I would love to engage in in deeper dialogue with people over this topic. Um, so yeah. Um, I think we'll just wrap up the episode there. I'll also say, um, yeah, we have a couple more episodes in the series. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, I have a new book that's out. If you haven't read it yet, it's called Sola Deus, uh, What If God uh, Is All of Us. It's the follow-up to my book, *Solo Mysterium, Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of Everything. Um, so you can uh, check out the new book. It's on Amazon now, on Kindle and paperback. And yeah, um, thanks for listening. Appreciate you being uh, a listener to the podcast, whether this is your first time or uh, you're a long-time listener. Either way, I appreciate you. And uh, thank you all so much. We'll talk soon.